0: The following sermon is by Boyd Johnson, pastor of Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. More information about Treasuring Christ Church can be found at tccathens.org. We are quickly approaching a time when your faith in Christ will cost you. It hasn't always been this way in this country. For a long time, Christians have been able to freely worship and live out their convictions. But it appears those days are waning, coming to a close. We've seen much evidence of this in the past year. During this time of lockdowns, churches in this country and elsewhere have been targeted. Churches have been forced to close or fined for opening their doors. One of my former classmates, the pastor's a church in Canada, was thrown in jail remains there and because he refuses turn people away from his church's worship services. Meanwhile, cancel culture is canceling those who hold beliefs consistent with biblical teachings. Books have been removed from stores that go against the new morality that we're all to bow to. People are losing their livelihoods and reputations because they hold to biblical convictions. And at the same time, we may soon face another more lasting threat to our freedom to live out our faith in conformity to biblical convictions. The Equality Act has been passed by the House and sent to the Senate. If it becomes law, it would remove important protections. Christians have under federal law. It won't be long before you're directly affected by all of this. Your faith in Christ will soon cost you. Persecution of one kind or another is on the horizon for every faithful Christian. So how will you respond when you begin to suffer for your faith? How should we respond when our faith is assaulted? Well, to answer those questions, I want to turn to 1 Peter, which is a manual for living for Christ in a hostile world. This letter was written to a group of Christians who were experiencing persecution because of their faith. And Peter writes to instruct and to encourage them to persevere in their trials. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He writes, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason in the hope that is in you. Yet doeth gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In this short passage, Peter instructs these churches how to conduct themselves when their faith is under attack. So it's a fitting passage for us as we anticipate what's to come. Now is the time to prepare ourselves when our faith becomes costly. costly. In this passage, Peter gives us four ways we must respond to assaults on our faith. Four ways we must respond to assaults on our faith. First, now is the time. We must respond as people of Christ. Notice he begins in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Peter was speaking into a situation in the first century very much like what we can imagine we'll soon face. Ordinarily in a just society, those who are zealous for what is good shouldn't be harmed. But when those in power replace justice with unrighteousness, then righteous Christians will necessarily suffer at the hands of authorities because we live for righteousness. And when unrighteousness becomes injustice, we'll suffer. Those who trust and obey God will always be blessed. But faith and obedience can still be painful. These churches Peter wrote to were suffering at the hands of those in power. To them he gave this strong exhortation at the end of verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Peter, of all people, knew well what it was to be afraid when faced with opposition. When the authorities came for Jesus, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus and fled. But by the time Peter wrote this letter, he had grown in his faith. And he would suffered. And he had found God faithful. And so... Not only because it's true, but out of personal conviction and experience, he writes, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't fear those who oppose you. Don't be troubled about your circumstances. Instead, he says, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's as if Honoring Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts is the answer to fear and trouble. Rather than fearing and fretting, we're to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. Now, it's hard to see in this English translation, but that word holy is actually a verb in this sentence. It means to set apart, to revere, to hallow. The New American Standard translates it, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The NIV says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. All of those translations get at the idea. The verbal form of the word holy is is the same word translated hallowed, In the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus began that model prayer this way Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed isn't a description, it's a petition. In other words, our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed, let your name be set apart, let it be revered, let your name be treated as holy. So here Peter tells us that in our hearts, that is with our whole person, in our deepest parts, we must set apart Christ the Lord. In your heart, treat him as holy revere Him, set Him apart, treat Him as supreme. Now more than ever, our lives need to reflect the reality that we have set apart Christ in our hearts as holy. Now more than ever, we need to live lives marked, visibly marked by our allegiance to Jesus Christ. When Christ is hallowed in our hearts, our lives will be filled with holiness. Hallowing leads to holiness in your life. Now listen how Peter makes this point again and again in his letter that hallowing leads to holiness. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That is, grow in holiness. Further down in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Then in chapter 3, But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then in chapter four, beginning in verse one, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, Passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then in verse 15 of chapter 4, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Again and again, Peter beats the drum of holiness. We must be holiness, and perhaps you caught it, we must be holy not just in our private lives, but publicly. So that others see our good deeds from holiness and glorify God. Where does this holiness come from? This holiness comes from hallowing God in our hearts. Setting apart. These passages all remind us of the same thing. We're to live in such a way that it's apparent that we adore Christ. That Christ is our supreme object of love, affection, loyalty, and obedience. That we honor Him as holy. And so now is the time for us to respond as people of Christ, people marked by Christ, people who are visibly following Christ, people who have set him apart in our hearts. Second, now is the time we must respond as people of courage. Again, in verse 15, Peter writes. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That word defense comes from the Greek word apologia. We get the English words apology and apologetics from this word. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. So this word could be translated defense or answer. We are called, he says, to make a defense or to answer for our faith before others. Very simply, God is calling you to open your mouth and be his witness. That's what he's given us to do in the great commission Jesus has, to be his witnesses in this earth. Now, the kinds of situations that Peter seems to have in mind here where we would have to make a defense or answer for our faith are just the regular, everyday conversations that you have. The conversations at the barbershop, the conversations at the doctor's office, the conversations at work, the conversations among family members. We're to be ready to answer, he says, to Anyone who asks us, anyone, as you live out the convictions of your faith in Christ, you're going to get in conversations with people who radically disagree with you and who are opposed to Christ. And at that moment, you'll either go silent in order to keep the peace, Or. You'll courageously say something that's true. Will you have the courage in that moment? If Christ is set apart in your heart. You will. If he's most valuable to you, even more valuable than your reputation, more valuable than being liked. Then you'll be his witness. When the time comes to give in a defense. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not ashamed. We hide what we're ashamed of. We conceal what we're ashamed of. Shame keeps us from courageous conversation. But there's nothing shameful about your faith in Christ. There's nothing shameful about God's truth. On the other hand, by nature, we share with people what we delight in. The things that you enjoy, you tell other people about. Nobody needs to stir you up for that. You just naturally do it. If instead of shame, we delight in God's truth, we'll be eager to share God's truth. So now is the time we must revere the Lord in our hearts so that we have the courage to share our joy whenever we're called upon. Third, now is the time we must respond as people of conviction must respond as people of conviction again in verse 15 in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you when peter exhorted these suffering believers to make a defense to unbelievers what kind of defense did he have in mind? The defense that he told them to make was not complex arguments, was not memorized reasons, but reasons for their hope. He says, We're always to be prepared to give the reason. For the hope that is in us. You don't have to read any apologetics books to do this. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be sharp and on your feet and quick with a reply. You don't even have to have heard the other side's arguments before. What you need is just hope that wells up and overflows out of your mouth. The hope that is in us are the convictions we have about God. We believe that God is. We believe that God is holy. We believe that God saves We believe that Christ came, that he died for sins of all who believe. We believe that those who are saved are kept for eternity. We believe his word is true and authoritative. These are convictions that we hope in. That every true Christian has. to have courage requires conviction having our hearts full of hope in god as hope rises in our hearts our affections for christ grows and as our affection for christ grows so too grows our desire to tell other people about him in the face even in the face of ridicule or suffering so the way we're to get ready to always be prepared To make a case for our hope is to get hopeful. The key to being ready is not amassing arguments and knowing how to respond to everyone's questions. Rather, the key to being ready is amassing hope in our hearts so that when we're asked, our hope gushes out of our hearts. I don't know the answer to your question. I've never heard someone make that argument before. But here's what I can tell you. Here's the truth that I do know. Jesus Christ saves What do you have to say about that? Our hope will rise as we meditate on the hope God has given us, as we store up hope in Christ, our hearts enlarge with gladness in Christ, and then we're more courageous to tell God's truth in the face of opposition. And here's what's so powerful to unbelievers... About all of this, as you live for Christ and receive the reproach of the world, and yet don't give up and maintain hope, unbelievers will recognize by the way you respond to suffering that your hope is not in just laws, your hope is not in elections or different authorities or other circumstances, but rather your hope is in God Himself. Hope in God while you suffer will become a compelling, irrefutable argument for God. What else is He hoping in? No other explanation will explain the way you endure suffering. So then our primary duty each day is to keep our own hearts hopeful in God. Trusting Him. Believing him, amassing hope. Finally, now is the time we must respond as people of clear consciences. At the end of verse 15, and continuing into the next verse, Peter writes, "Yet, do it with gentleness." Respond with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In relation to God, we're to live holy lives, but in relation to people, we're to live lives of gentleness and respect. That word gentleness means to have an attitude of meekness or humility. When opposition comes, when we're slandered, when we're lied about, we could be tempted to be arrogant or hateful. But Peter says instead we should respond with a kind of gentle humility. We remember how Jesus responded when He was taken captive, when He was beaten and jailed and sentenced and killed. He didn't spew hate. He didn't become sinfully angry or revile those who mistreated Him. Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 21, To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. We must follow Jesus' example. We need to ensure we don't give those who oppose our faith any cause for condemning our behavior. Let the issue be our hope in Christ, not our bad attitudes, not our poor responses. We should also respond with gentleness because we want those who oppose our faith to come to saving faith. Paul writes in 2nd Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by Him to do His will. So we're to be gentle. To have a kind of humility and meekness as we make a defense of our faith. As we respond to suffering. In addition to gentleness, we also must be respectful. Respect is the word phobos. It's often translated fear. Peter probably has in mind How we should treat authorities. Those who have power over us. We should be respectful in our speech. Respectful in our conduct. Recognizing that God has placed us all under authority. In chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, who was Nero at the time, or to governors as sent by Him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. When we treat people with gentleness and respect, we'll have a good conscience before God. To be sure, we obey God, not men, when man's laws conflict with God's laws. And yet we always do this with gentleness and respect, so that we can have a good conscience before God. A good conscience is one that doesn't accuse us of unconfessed sin. And when we have a clear conscience, those who revile our good behavior may be put to shame. That is, their consciences may be pricked so that they feel that shame of their actions and be led closer to the truth. Well, how should we respond when our faith is assaulted. We need to respond as people of Christ, people of courage, people of conviction, and people of clear consciences. That's what God's will is for us. Are you ready for what's to come? Now's the time to get ready. Because whether you know it or not, the world's coming for you. If you trust in Christ. Now is the time to get ready. We don't need to live in fear of the future, but we do need to double down and root ourselves in the ordinary means of grace that makes us strong and able to endure hardships. Now more than ever, your devotional times matter. Now more than ever, our fellowship matters. Now more than ever, our corporate and private worship matters. All this so that we can amass the hope that we need to carry us through. We need to live in light of the reality that we live in. And so we need to ask God for help in all this. Will you pray with me, Father. We don't have martyr complexes. We don't eagerly look forward to persecution or ridicule or slander. And yet, we know from Your Word because Your Son Himself said that those who follow after Him will suffer. We know that as we live for Christ in this world, we will suffer. And so we pray That we would set apart Christ as holy in our hearts. That he would be uppermost in our affections. That our love for him would grow more and more. And that as that occurs, our hope would rise, our courage would be strong. And we live before people with clear consciences as we tell the truth with gentleness and respect. Lord, make us ready. And For those churches and those believers in this country and around the world who even now are suffering because of their faith in ways that we presently aren't. We pray that in their hearts, hope would arise that they would continue to trust You, the One who is sovereign over all circumstances, even evil authorities. So bring rescue. But mostly bring hope. And give all these Christians who suffer a great witness so that many would be led to faith in Christ And many would be strengthened in their faith in Christ because of their example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not alter the content in any way without permission. Treasuring Christ Church exists to spread a passion for the fame of Christ's name in Athens and around the world. We invite you to visit Treasuring Christ Church online at tccathens.org. There you'll find other resources available to you and information about our upcoming gatherings.